And so to close out this series, we're going to study this last piece, and that is Storge love. Everybody say Storge. Oh, you can do better than that. Say, say Storge. And that is family love. Family. If you're sitting with family, say, I love you. I Storge you. Tell them that. Say, I Storge you. And this refers to the deep and caring bond that develops naturally between parents and children, husbands and wives, siblings, as an only child. I don't really get it real well, but it's been fun to all these years to study your family and watch how you brothers and sisters get knocked down, drag out fights, but you still love each other. It's the weirdest thing how you do that. It's the weirdest thing how you can be mad for a year and then at Christmas you're best friends again. It's amazing because it's called, it's literally, it's Storge love. It's this family bond that siblings have, that parents have, that the husband and wife have. And it's literally, this, this word, storge, is, you don't see it used uh, necessarily in the scripture. It's a reference to the uh, philostaros, which means tenderly loving. Tenderly loving. That thing that a mom has when she gives birth to that child. That crazy dad, that man who runs all around and acts a fool until one day he's sitting there with his wife as she gives birth. And he looks at that little boy, that baby in that crib, and he goes... Nothing else matters in my life anymore. And he quits softball and he sells his big truck and buys a minivan because of Storge love. Come on, man. You know what I'm talking about? When I looked into that boy's eyes in that crib and I saw him, I said, There's nothing. There was a lot. I couldn't even explain it. I couldn't even grasp it. Jesus had biological brothers and sisters, half brothers and sisters. Joseph and Mary went on to have children, so they're his half-brothers and sisters, and at, obviously he was close with them. In fact, his half-brother James took over the church in Jerusalem, and that church in the in New Testament was like 50,000 people. So his half-brother James led that church. I mean, you talk about a bond and a sweetness, but at some point they come to Jesus, they're interrupting him because his family is struggling to believe that he's the Messiah, and they ask him, they say, hey, listen, your, 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 friend, your, your mom and your brothers and sisters are here, they need to talk to you, and he goes, who are my mother and brothers and sisters? Are they not those who deal with the will of the Father? So there's this divine connection in Storge, not just to your biological family, but also to your spiritual family. There's this love that almost doesn't make sense. Some of you recognize it. The moment you walked in here and you started going to a small group and you connected with somebody and you're like, dude, you're like my brother. Like there's this connection. It's hard to explain. That is Storge. Everybody say Storge. Tell me, you can do better than that. Say Storge. Family love. One day Boudreaux asked Marie, he says, Cher, would you, have, would, you stay, would you have stayed with me? Uh, would you have married me if you knew my daddy? Um, I'm messing it all up. <laughs> uh, would you still have married me if my daddy hadn't left me all that money? Marie thought for a second. She said, Boudreaux, I would have married you no matter who had left you all that money. I'll tell you that right now. When we talk about family love. Our key scripture is Proverbs 11:29. Would you turn there with me for just a moment? If you don't have your Bibles with you, it'll be on the screen. So grateful for all of you guys in our Mansfield campus as we turn there. Can we give those guys a hand? I love you so much. So grateful for all you guys in our online campus. We love you. Mwah. You're the best. Thank you for being with us this morning as we bring the word. Proverbs 11:29. He who brings trouble on his family will inherit only wind. He who brings trouble on his family will inherit only wind. Can I paraphrase this, kind of put it maybe in a way you can grasp it a little bit better? I'm going to paraphrase it. If you don't protect your family, you will have nothing to show for your life on this planet. If you don't protect your family, 
You will have nothing to show on this, on this planet that you are even a success. You may have buildings uh, named after you. You may have been successful. But when you're dead and gone, no one will even remember you. Think about how many buildings you drove past and saw some name. It didn't matter to you a flying flip. Well, that person probably was very successful in their era. But nobody knows and nobody cares. Years ago, I was on an airplane flying someone to, somewhere to minister, and, and uh, this lady was seated next to me. She was in her mid to late 30s, and uh, I opened my laptop. We opened up a conversation, and in my laptop, my background is a picture of my family on my phone. If my wife calls, it doesn't say Jamie McCain. It comes up sexy mama. I mean, I just want everybody to know who I'm in love with. And so as I'm sitting there and, and, we're, and we're talking for a little hello, you know, just niceties, she sees the pictures. She goes, oh, is that your family? I said, yeah, that's my family. They're magnificent. I said, I'm an only child, so I, I, I don't really, I'm not really, I'm learning how to raise a family, especially three kids. I don't, I'm not really good at it. I'm, I'm, st- I'm doing all I can to research and find it. And I said, you know, it's really tough times in the world we live. And she goes, she goes exactly. She goes, uh, she goes I, don't, I don't plan on having children. I said, you don't plan on having children? She goes, no, my boyfriend and I, we don't really plan on having children. I said, well, well why not? And she goes, well, honestly, I'm scared I'm going to mess a, some little person up. Like, I'm scared that I can't, I can't do it right. I, and not only that, but the world's so wicked, and I just, the pain of it all, and i just be honest with you, you know, I, I really like my career. I'm really into it. And as she was talking, coming up with all the reasons why, I, I paused her, and I looked at her. I said, can I say something to you? I said, there's going to be a moment when you no longer exist. What will be proof that you walk this planet? I said, do you understand? Children, grandchildren, great-grand, they are proof that you did something of value on this planet. They are your, if you will, your footprint on this planet. They will, they will outlive whatever, t- whatever, thing you, whatever you think you may have accomplished. Whatever, however much money you made, whatever you gave back to society. It will not matter if there is no one to remember your name. She started crying. She goes, I'm going to get married and we're going to have kids. I said, yes, ma'am, you need to make that thing happen right now. The Bible is a history of families. It is how they engage with their God and the people of the earth. It is, the Bible is the original Ancestry.com. When you begin to read through the Bible, you get these moments, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and you're like, ah, oh, I can't even pronounce these names. Why am I reading this? It's in there because God wants you to know how important familia is, how important family is. It is the base unit, if you will, of Christianity. It is who we are and who we're supposed to be. In fact, when God was creating the world and he was creating humanity, interesting that he looked at Adam and he said, of everything I've created, it's perfect, but what I've done with Adam is not perfect. What I've done with mankind is not perfect. So the Bible says he literally created for Adam a helpmate. And so some of you have been misappropriated in the teaching on this. You were taught that he pulled out a rib, which is how it's been translated. But the actual proper translation of what God did is God didn't pull out one little bone out of his out of his ribcage he pulled out half of Adam that's a better translation he pulled out half of Adam and then he said now Adam bond back the two become one and that because because God recognized that that Adam needed family and then he told Adam and Eve to do something anybody know what he gave him a command a direct command prosper come together procreate fill the earth create create family 
profanely, from the very beginning of our existence, God brought male and female together and said, make babies, come on somebody, and fill the earth. That was his command. So when Adam and Eve began to fight against that, when they began to run away from that, when humanity began to say, no, we're not going to fill the earth, we're going to create a tower, God brought confusion so that they would have to come back together and they literally would have to make family. Family unit is God's plan for the earth. Are you there today? Say yes. Are you, storge is not just some little side thing. It's so natural to you and me because it's built in our DNA that we are supposed to have family. In fact, the most difficult times in our life is when we feel absent from family. If you've ever been on a long extended trip with work, then I, you, you, you talk about how you long for family. I just can't, I can't wait to see my wife and kids. I mean, we were in Hawaii. Jamie and I were in Hawaii. Hawaii a couple weeks ago. Hawaii. Can I, Hawaii, like bucket list, dream vacation, woohoo, we're three days in, and she's like, I miss the kids, I'm like, we're in Hawaii, we don't need no kids, we'll make some kids, we, what are you, what's wrong with you, we in Hawaii, I just miss the kids, I just wish they were here, I was like, wow, Store J, Store J, each and every one of us, and can I make a supposition to you, that from the very beginning of time, and especially in the United States in the last 80 years, every demon in hell has tried, to been, has tried to destroy family. Has tried to destroy family. The simplicity of family, the beauty of family has been under attack. It's amazing how many organizations have literally made it their goal to destroy the family. To destroy it. In fact, one very popular organization last year put it in their mission statement. That their plan was to rid the earth, to destroy, to fight against Judeo-Christian family. That's what they, that's what they put in their, in their mission statement. Can you believe the brazenness in that? And I would propose to you, church, believers in Jesus Christ, lovers of God, not perfect, all of us with all the things we need to grow in, I would propose to you, and today's teaching to you is do whatever you have to do to protect storage. Do whatever you have to do. Draw a line in the sand and say, no, no, no. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. No, 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 no. We will not give over to that. We will not give into that. And listen, we all, all recognize that we are blended families. We are broken pieces that God has put back together. Friend, you need to rise up and you need to say, you know what? I'm not going to let my family be destroyed. I'm not going to let storage love be stolen from us. God made us to have family. God made us to be family. And I'm going to do it just the way the Bible says. And that will protect me from all the wickedness that's trying to destroy you. Are you with me today? Say yes. Come on. Are you there? Come on. You can do better than that. Are you sure? Say yes. As we look through the Bible, we see all these family pieces. We see how God created Adam and Eve in the garden. And they had, and they had uh, uh, you know, Cain and Abel and Seth as their children. We see Abraham and Sarah struggling to birth their family. And the promise of Isaac and, 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 and the time frame waiting on God's miracle power. We see David and his father and his father's just, just no confidence in David and who he is. And when the prophet comes, David doesn't even get mentioned. And, the, and when the prophet says, these are all your sons. He's like, well, I got this little idiot one out in the field. We don't really talk about him that much. And the brokenness of that relationship and as a result, David's inability to be a good father. We see these dynamics all throughout scripture. The battle even between the Jewish tribes. See, we're brothers and sisters that have grown through the years and they have mil uh, hundreds of thousands of them and now they begin to fight amongst themselves in the scriptures. Tribe begins to fight against tribe. We see Jesus and his biological family. So many principles 
to learn from these family pieces in Scripture, these these documentation of their lives and how they serve God together and the mistakes they made. We see so many principles in that in Scripture and all of these illustrations. But I'd like to take us today to one that really is dear to my heart. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 8. And I want to look at this storge love, storge love between a man named Jairus and his 12-year-old daughter. I want you to see the beauty of this man's love and Jesus' engagement with them. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 41, it says, Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house. Verse 42, why is he doing that? Because his only daughter, everybody say only daughter, a girl of about 12 was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. Let's pause there for a moment. Jairus, the Bible calls him a ruler. He is a ruler of the synagogue. So in, in, in biblical times, where this, in time frame this is in, the Jewish people had synagogues in geographical areas. And so if Jairus is the ruler of the local synagogue, he is probably one of the most popular people in the area. He is famous. He is exalted. He is, he, he is respected. He is um, the carrier of the things of God. He is the representative to the people of the things of God. Just him showing up would have caused everyone to take a step back, shut their mouths, and listen to what he had to say. It would be as though if a Bishop Jakes walked in the room today, we were like, I would be like, uh, Bishop, would you like to preach? I mean, I mean, the kind of respect and the kind of honor. Unfortunately, this man has grown up in the, in the ways of Judaism to such, a, to such a spot that he is probably like most of the Jewish leaders of the day and they are opposing Jesus Christ. He probably has talked bad about him. He probably has resisted him. He's probably done sucker punches in his messages on the Sabbath. You know, well, there's these people out there that claim they're the Messiahs. But let me turn to you and to this, this portion of Deuteronomy and let us study there today. And he probably had done that over and over again. But now we find him running to the feet of Jesus falling down on his face. I picture he's weeping. I picture he's shaking. The, the humility that this man exhibits. You know when you get two CEO-type personalities in a room, how they start acting? You know how they start, you know, you know, almost bullying each other, talking about their successes. And that would have been the normal scene here, but this man doesn't do that. He runs and he falls at the feet of Jesus. Why does he do that? Why does he humble himself like that? Store J love because he's got a 12 year old who's dying. And mama has said, I don't care if you believe in him or not. He's healing everybody else in our town. You go get him. And he's like, But do you understand what this is going to do to my career? I've been talking bad about this guy. And now I'm going to go and try to get him. I can't do that, baby. She grabs him by the nap of his head, brings him into the bedroom, and tells him, every doctor you brought in here has not been able to fix her. She is dying. She is almost dead. You do what you have to do for our family. That dude left that house like, I'm going to go get me some Jesus. 
And when he walks up to him, he is not, he is not, he's not comparing notes. They're not arguing theology. He has got falls down on his face and says, listen, and can you imagine the humility? I know I've talked bad about you. I know I've stood against you. I know I posted things that were sucker punches against you on my social medias. But please, sir, could you come? My daughter, store J Love, my daughter is dying. And the Bible says, Jesus said, Starts going with him. Doesn't even give us a big dialogue. Well, let's, before we go there, let's just discuss how you've mistreated me. Let's discuss how you've acted. Jesus doesn't do any of that. He goes, okay, let's go. Okay, let's go. And as they start heading in that direction, do you know what happens? The Bible says a crowd presses in against Jesus. He's on his, this child has moments to live. This man in a desperate attempt goes to get Jesus. He's humbling himself. He doesn't even believe in his ministry. He doesn't even believe he's the Messiah. But he's so desperate for his child that he'll do whatever he has to do to get Jesus to his child. And so he's grabbing him. He's taking him. Jesus is going with him. And then a crowd rushes in. A crowd rushes in. And he cannot get away from them. And they're pushing all against him. My, me, 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 my cousin needs help. Jesus, Jesus, can you pray for me? Can you Listen, I'm also broke right now. Can you, you got any money? We can't pay our light bill. Oh, this is happening like crazy. And all of a sudden, Jesus goes, oh, what just happened? And they're all like, you know, all of his little security personnel, Jesus just, he just screamed. Something just happened. Everybody's like, you know, they're all freaking out. And Jesus said, something just happened. Who touched me? And I can imagine Peter's like, okay, he's asking, who touched him? He's in a crowd. Jesus, can I help you a little bit? Everybody's touching you. What do you mean, who touched you? No, no, somebody touched me different. Somebody touched you different. What do you mean? He says, power just left me. Surge of power just left my body. The Bible says, knowing that she cannot get away with it, a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. She's had some type of menstrual difficulty where she's been bleeding for 12 years. Realizing she cannot sneak away, she comes forward and she says, it was me. It was me. And she starts telling her story. I've gone to all the doctors. I've spent all my money. I'm broke. And I determined, I heard that you were going to be in this town and I have struggled to get here. And I was trying to get close to you, but the crowd came and they started pushing against you, and I just started pushing them away. And I didn't care. I pushed her, and I thought if I could just touch his clothes, if I can just touch his robe. She goes, and I reached out, and I touched you, and when I did, I was completely healed. And Jesus said, daughter, your faith has healed you. That's awesome. But Jairus is in a full panic mode because this has sidetracked what he needs to happen. In fact, if I could point this out, this woman obviously lives in the area. This woman has a local pastor of the local synagogue. There is a local synagogue that she would have attended, that she would have been a member of. And that leader of that would have been a man by the name of Jairus. She's been bleeding for 12 years. How old is his daughter? 12. 12 years. This man has not been able to give her any help as her pastor. He's not been able to give her any confidence that God could heal her. He has no power to help her. They both have found the one who can fix all things. And they're both in need of him right then and there. In fact, according to the book of Leviticus, a woman who is bleeding is not allowed back into church, back in the synagogue, until that's healed up. In fact, 
Jairus would have been the one to enact that rule and have to tell her, you cannot come back to the community of believers until this gets fixed. You, I don't have the power to help you. I don't have the ability to get you set free. I don't know what to tell you, but you can't come and be with us because you're broken. Come on, somebody. This man is the one having to tell her. He's standing next to Jesus, taking Jesus to his daughter. She pushes through the crowd, gets immediately healed. And Jesus says, woman, thy faith has healed you. She's looking at the man who should have been the one to be able to give her help, and he couldn't. Twelve years of bleeding, twelve years of not being able to go to church, twelve years of being cast out of the community of believers. Are you tracking with me? And in a moment, Jesus heals her, sets everything free, and then he looks at Jairus, and Jairus is like, we got to get there. As they're turning to go... Would you pick up with me? You still with me? Say yes. Verse 49, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came to the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, from, excuse me, from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what floods his mind? I have been there when that parent got the news that their child has died in, from a car accident. I stood beside that bed with that family as that, as that life monitor went flat. I've watched the pain. I've seen and heard the cries of a mama who said, it's not right that you should outlive your children. It's not right for a dad to bury his son. I've been there in that deep, deep time of sorrow, in this moment of flood, of flood of depression, all the hope just leaves the room. All the hope and the, and the, and the humility that he's done walked in to try to get Jesus there. And this woman got in the way of it. If he could have got there and she wouldn't have gotten in the way and we wouldn't have had all this crowd, maybe he could have done it. All of these things are flooding in his mind before he even has a chance to even say anything. Look what Jesus does. Verse 50, hearing this, Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid. Everybody say, don't be afraid. And then he makes another statement, just believe and she will be healed. He gives him two directives, don't be afraid, just believe. 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 See, the problem that you and I don't grasp is that when we walk in fear, we're actually having faith in the problem more than we're having faith in the solution. See, when we walk in fear, we are empowering the problem instead of empowering the Lord our God. When we walk in fear, when fear overtakes us, when fear grabs us, surely he's been overtaken by fear. He just got the report that he never wanted to hear. He just humbled himself to fix this so that this wouldn't happen, but it has now happened. And Jesus speaks to him two truths. Number one, don't be afraid. And then he speaks a second truth, just believe. See, just believing is all about an act of our will. It's about the act of our will. You know what? I don't know if it's going to happen, but I believe. I don't see it working, but I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe more in the one who can heal the sick, raise the dead, who saved my soul. I'm going to believe more in him than I'm going to believe in the difficulty and the report that I'm getting right now. That sounds good in a sermon. That sounds sexy in a book. That's so cool in a post. But when you're walking through it, come on, somebody. I want each and every one of you to go through the painful moments of your life in your mind 
right now and think about if only I could have uh, not had fear and I could have only believed in him. And the struggle that that thing brought to my life. And the moments that I feel so embarrassed as a man of God, as a person who loved Jesus. And I walked in fear. And I responded in fear. And I acted in fear. And I lost my ability to believe in him in that moment. Oh, I want you to understand something today. If you and I will grasp what he's saying, he will save our families. Continuing on. Are you still there? Say yes. And so he walks with him to verse 51. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Verse 52, meanwhile, all the people who were wailing and mourning for her, stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. And what did they do? They laughed at him. See, the things of God are foolishness to those who are perishing. They don't make sense to them. You say, I'm go- we're going we're gonna to lead our family like this. <laughs> are you out of your mind? <laughs> You're so crazy. You posted that. You're so child. You are so ignorant. You lack intelligent thinking. You're going to put your faith in a God that you can't see. And you don't believe in this, that, and the other. You believe in creation according to the word of God. (laughs) You are so childish. You are so simple. You are so easily, easily deceived. And the Bible says that Jesus shuts them up and says, don't talk anymore. Do you hear me? She is not dead. She is but asleep. And they laughed at him. And he took her by the hand, and he said to her, my child, get up. Verse 55, her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Verse 56 is my favorite. Her parents were astonished. Her parents were astonished. If you've ever dealt with grief, if you've ever dealt with a moment of panic, to have Jesus do a miracle in that moment, yeah, you would be a little bit like astonished. They are astonished. Can I give you a little bit of hope today? Whatever has been attacking your family, whatever the enemy has killed, Jesus is telling you two things. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And I want you to know he's planning something that will astonish you if you will but believe and not be afraid. If you'll just hold the course and say, you know what? I know I raised that child right, and I know they've gone away from you, Lord, but I'm going to just not be afraid, and I'm going to just believe. I'm going to trust in you and wait for your astonishment. Jesus loves to astonish you. He loves to figure, say, this marriage is dead. I don't have any hope in it. Jesus wants to astonish you. If you will but believe and not be afraid. If you'll just stay the course. He say, I'm just so tired of being single. I'm so tired of being lonely. If you will not be afraid and you'll just believe he will bring to life that which is dead. He will bring back to living that which has been lost. Jesus walks in the room. He shuts up all the naysayers. He confuses all those who think they have it figured out and he does what no one else can do. He brings to life that which is dead. Are you with me today? Say yes. Come on. Do you want that for your family? Say yes. See, some of you hadn't talked to mama in 10 years. God wants to bring that back to life. Some of you have hated your brother for what he did for the last three years. God wants to bring that back to life. God wants to bring that wayward child back to you. He wants to bring that brokenness and that, and that, and that friendship uh, uh, with, with your dad back to life. He wants to resurrect that which the enemy has killed. It's not right that a 12-year-old should be dead in this, morning, in this moment. And Jesus rights the wrongs. He wants to help you right the wrongs. Are you there today? Say yes. So it is our job to not be afraid and only believe. It's his job 
to do miracles and things that we cannot fix. Are you with me? Say yes. Come on, I need, you, I need to know you're with me. Come on in the, in the chat box. I need you to say yes. He will right the wrongs if you and I will do our part. Don't be afraid and just believe. He will bring it back to life. As you study through the scriptures, we're talking about storge love, storge love, family love. I wish I could tell you he gives us a 25-page dissertation on how to do family right. But he doesn't. He doesn't give us step by step. And then take her, take your wife, and do the Enneagram with her. And then you'll realize how she thinks. Because you will never really know how she thinks unless you do Enneagram with her. I wish there was this whole list of things, but there isn't. In fact, there's just some base teachings. Just some clear, simple directives. I don't even like half of them. I don't. But I know that if I'll do it God's way, then I'll have what God has planned. If I'll do it his way, then I won't live in the brokenness of our society. If I, I don't even have time to go through the, the statistics of the amount of the men that are in jail and they bring it back to the brokenness of family for them, that they didn't have a father figure. I can't even, the statistical analysis of the insecurity and what we're seeing with people, not even, not even un, the confusion about their gender and how they bring all of that, psychologists are even understand bringing that all back around to the broken family. I can't, I can't even describe for you the years of being a youth minister, all the difficulty that I had helping young people because of the brokenness of their family and God's plan to heal all that, but that was resisted by so many. Today, if you and I will get on board with what he's planned out, I promise you, we will have amazing families. We will have proper storge love. You're still there? Say yes. So I want to take you through the one place that I can give you some clear directives that he gives us. He puts it real simple, Colossians chapter 3. We find this almost restated again in Ephesians, but Colossians chapter 3. And strengthening this storge love, look what he says in verses 18 through 21. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. That's it? That's all you got? Like, I'm going to need a little bit more help than that, Lord. But as you study through Scripture, you, yeah, you see that Jesus teaches these wonderful teachings about forgiving one another and loving one another. But these are basically the four directives that we find. They're four clear directives. And, and, and I don't like half of them. But they're clear directives from the Holy Scripture. So let me break them down. Let's start with the first one. Number one, he starts with wives submit to husbands. What? What? Let, Listen, I understand the problem with submitting to an idiot. That is so hard. That is so hard. Like, Lord, are you sure that's what you meant to say? Like, submit to, and not only that, but the harshness of that word, submit. The difficulty of even the concept of what that looks like. I thought the two, the two were both as valuable. And, and that word submit makes me feel like that that person is demeaned and that person's not as valuable, that this person, because of their gender, is more valuable. And that's not at all what God is teaching. You gotta grasp this and give me time to break you all the way, bring you all the way through it. Submission doesn't mean you're weak. It takes a stronger person to submit. In fact, in the original 
teachings in the, in the scriptures in Genesis, the Bible says that God made for Adam a helpmate. You don't get someone weaker than you to help you. He knew good and well that someone had to lead and someone had to follow. Some, for this thing to work, there has to be this divine order piece. Both of you and all of you in a family can't try to run the thing because then who's responsible when it doesn't work? So all those submission ladies sounds like this horrible thing. It really is God's beautiful plan of protection, God's beautiful plan of provision. It's God's beautiful plan of rightness in a marriage relationship. And unfortunately, we've seen it misappropriated. We've seen it mishandled. We've seen it uh, uh, improperly put into practice. And that's the place where God doesn't give us all these 25 steps on how to do that properly. He just leaves it up, up to us to figure it out. Because the discovery of storge love and the developing of that in, in, in connection with your God is really the beauty of family. It really is. I want you to know it takes a grandier leader to submit to someone while they're processing who's been deemed in charge. And so to all the wives in the room, I love you. I'm so proud of you. Thank you for doing it God's way. Because that's not what you're taught in the earth today. And that's why we have such confusion. Then he moves on and he says, husbands, love your wives. Now in the book of Ephesians, it quotes it like this. Husband loves your wife, even as Christ loves the church. I don't know if it's harder to submit to an imperfect person or to love an imperfect person. I don't know which one's harder. Both the tasks are difficult. They're both very difficult as Christ loves the church. We know 1 Corinthians 13 tells us how to love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle. Love is, self, is not self-seeking. So on the husband in this unit called family, his job is to lay down every one of his dreams, every one of the things that he wants to do himself, and sacrifice that for this family. To give up all of the things that he thought that when he was a little boy that he would do. The moment he comes into relationship, the moment he builds his family, it is his job to love them. Which means promoting them above himself. That's what Jesus did. Jesus came to earth and he didn't tell us all what to do. He served us. The Bible says that he was the servant of all. He did not come to reign and to rule over us, but he came to serve us. And as a result of that servanthood, God then put him as reigning king. Can I explain something to you? At the end of the day, Ephesians teaches us this. Husbands, you you're going to give an account for how you loved your family. In fact, it says it like this, that he is to present her to the Father. As Jesus is the husband of the church and gave himself up for the church. This is the same attitude. So see, when you have a husband loving properly and you have a wife submitting properly, then you have something magical called family. But when you have a wife that won't submit because he's an idiot and doesn't pay attention, and he won't love her the way he's supposed to love her, and he's selfish in his own ambitions, then what you've got is nothing but chaos, and we keep losing and losing and splitting and losing. We're trying to find it somewhere else. And I know most of us are blended families, but you've got to understand, at some point, we've got to draw the line and say, we can't do it right. Let's do it God's way. We've broken everything. Let's try God's way. If I could just propose to you for a second to throw off all the rhetoric and all the messiness that you've heard and that you've been told and all the insecurity that if I submit to a person who's not perfect, they're going to destroy my life. If I love this person and lay down my life for them, they're going to destroy my life. If you can lay down all the fear and just believe, I promise you his words are true and they will work. He gave us these four directives. And then the third thing that he gave us as a directive, are you still there? Say yes. And that is children 
Obey your parents. That's so easy when you're four. Not so easy when you're 14. Come on, young people. I mean, it's so e- they are so cool, and daddy's brilliant when you're four. But when you're 14, you realize, dad's, dad's weird. Mom won't stop. She, she's crazy. In fact, another passage, it literally says it like this, obeying connected to also honor. And that word honor means to treat as valuable. Young person in the room, if I could just tell you this, if you're in the room and you're still a child in your family's eyes, and that means if you're here with us in this moment, that means you're not in kids' ministry. And so it's a very difficult place to be because you're coming into your own. You're having your own ideas. You're establishing yourself as a human on the planet. You're, you're wanting to stand on your own two feet, but also you need the covering of your family. And it is a tough place to be in when you know how to work an iPhone better than your mom does. It's a tough place to live in when, you actually, when, when you're actually a little smarter in reference to schoolwork and they couldn't even help you during the, uh, during, you know, the coronavirus. And you're like, well, I'll just Google it real quick. Thanks, Dad. No, never mind. It's not worth the time. And to be able to humble yourself and still obey and to honor even if it makes no sense. There's a gal in our youth ministry. She got radically saved. Single mom with dating multiple men through this time period as this gal was in our youth ministry. She became a small group leader for us. Radical, phenomenal woman of God. Phenomenal woman of God. She would have small group at her house. And her mom, who was, uh, worked, worked the bar, she, she was a bar attendant, she, she would come home plastered and embarrassed this girl in front of all these young ladies that she was having small group with. Multiple times this happened. And over a course of time, the mom began to completely get convicted that her daughter was serving Jesus, that her daughter was always up at that church trying to help other kids, that her daughter, her 15-year-old daughter, was always going somewhere with the Christians, that she wasn't dating anybody, that she was keeping herself till marriage, that she wouldn't drink a, drink a beer with her. Embarrassed conviction, 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 until finally the mom got mad about it. And she said, no more, you can't go up to that church. I'll never forget when she came and sat in her office, and Miss Jamie and I looked at her, and we talked her through, and, and she said, what should I do? And we said, well... Colossians says, children, obey your parents. She goes, yeah, but she's not serving God. So it should, doesn't that give me a right not to have to obey her? I said, oh, no, ma'am. No, ma'am. It doesn't qualify if they're good or bad or if they're saved or not saved. Children, obey your parents. Again, these are his principles, his directives, not mine. I don't even like half of them, I'm telling you. But I love Jesus and I'll follow him all my days because his ways work. And so, and so she said, okay, I'm going to do it. She didn't, come to, she didn't come to our youth service. She st- had to stop leading her small group. Weeks went by. Months went by. Can I tell you, after a couple months, we were there on a Sunday morning, really big church, and all of a sudden, I see that mama down at the altar, repenting, getting right with God. So we all came over to her. In those days, everybody would come forward, get on their knees, and we would pray with them. And so some of the ladies were gathered around praying with them. And of course, I walked over and said, I know her, you know, her, she's the mama, one of the girls in the youth ministry. And, and afterwards, we're kind of, you know, talking and and she began to say, she said, I, my little girl, my little girl, my little girl helped me. She helped me get right with God. She didn't quit on God even when I was wrong to her, when I wronged her. And I just saw that and I just said, I need to come back to Jesus. I, I, when I was a little girl, I served God. I went to church, but, but I, I made some bad decisions. I'd done some wicked stuff and I just never thought I could come back. And, uh, and my little girl helped me. Can I tell you something? That little girl, her and her husband, pastor 
pastor a church in Arkansas with a few thousand people. She's a pastor's wife today. She just finished her first book. She's been, she's been featured on Daystar. Can I tell you something? If she would not have obeyed in that moment, she would not be the woman that she is today. She would not be having the influence that she has today. This is God's plan, even if it's not our plan. And the last piece, he says, now fathers, he's calling mothers into this too, do not embitter your children. Actually, that word translates out a little bit better, exasperate. Everybody say exasperate. exasperate. These are the only directives he gives us. He doesn't tell us the 16 ways to do it. He just gives us these directives because he trusts our ability to hear from the Holy Spirit, to take the word of God as we see it, and apply it to our life. But these are the four, if you will, directives in Scripture. There's some other pieces along the way, but these are the most clear directives on family, on story, on how to, how to keep this thing together, how to do it his way. Don't exasperate them. Can I just help you a little bit, those of you that are parents? You're, if you've got little kids, there's going to be a moment where you have forgotten and not realize that they're not little anymore. There are going to be these times where you misappropriate them because you have forgotten that they are on a constant, they're on a faster growth plan than you are. See, once you hit about 25 or so, a whole lot doesn't change from that point forward in your life. But, it, but from the time you are born to the time you're about 12 or 13 or 14, everything in your world changing every other year. I mean, when you're born, you can't walk or talk. And within a matter of months, you're starting to talk. Then you're starting to work. It's a whole new world. Things are changing. And then you're starting to have logical understandings. And then you're having critical thinking as you get older and older and older. And you get to this spot one day where sometimes parents exasperate their children because they didn't realize that you needed to pivot with them as they are growing and they're maturing. In fact, I could help some of you parents. You cannot keep evil away from your child. That is a foolish concept. I'm going to protect them from all the evil. Because the book of James says it's our own evil desires that drag us into temptation. See, we're all born with a sin nature. And you keep trying to keep your kid from sinful people and sinful situations. You won't ever let them look at the internet because it's Satan and they're 25. I mean, you're killing this kid, all right? I mean, you're, you, 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 and I'll tell you why. Because they have to learn. Your greatest coaching lesson to them is how to deal with their own flesh. The greatest thing you could ever give them is the gift of learning how to deal with their own sin nature. I, you know, I haven't done everything right in parenting, but I have started to realize within, with that first child, I was exasperating when I did that. And that's what the Bible told me not to do. And I had to learn how not to exasperate them. And, and I'm not talking about don't stand for righteousness. Oh, listen, we stand for righteousness in our house. But to learn how not to exasperate them. Why? Because this family unit is God's plan for the earth. Every demon in hell is trying to destroy your family. Every wicked force of evil has put a target on your children's back, your husband's back, your wife's back, has tried to destroy that. And friend, not so at Hill City. We're going to fight for each other's families. We're going to fight to do it the way God has it in place. I don't even like all the plans, but I'll tell you this, his way works. His way works. My plan always leads to destruction. If you've been through divorce multiple times, God has a way of resurrecting the miracle power in your life. God will bring back that kid. If you're a stepdad and that child won't have anything that you're not my daddy, God will do a miracle in that if you'll just do it his way. Are you there today? Say yes. If you'll put it into play and do it his way, he'll bless it. I want to show you this last little clip, and then we'll close. Show them this footage of Billy Graham's daughter. This is powerful. Everybody has a Billy Graham story. But I have my own Billy Graham story. Being stubborn, willful, and sinful. I married a man on New Year's Eve 
and within 24 hours, I knew I'd made a terrible mistake. After five weeks, I fled. I was afraid of him. What was I going to do? And let me tell you, you women will understand you don't want to embarrass your father. You really don't want to embarrass Billy Graham. <laughs> I rounded the last bend in my father's driveway, and my father was standing there waiting for me. As I got out of the car, he wrapped his arms around me and he said, welcome home. There was no shame, there was no blame, there was no condemnation, just unconditional love. 